0: This is Sustainable Conversation Season 2. Yes, the bicycle community is just amazing. <music> Hello everybody and welcome to Vagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. I know, I know, I know. You need an explanation about my first sentence. But we will get there without a road bike. Well... First of all, thanks a lot for the amazing presence that we got on the first episode of the Sustainable Conversation Season 2, our talk with Nisha. Last week there was as well Sisters in a Wild event and it was super great. You can go on Instagram and see whatever it happens and remember just to follow Calamaro CC on the Instagram. Some other things down here, you will find a couple of super helpful links, the support to the COVID jar that everything goes to the Sea Watch. They are making an amazing job in Central Mediterranean to saving refugees. And as well, you are going to find the coffee link where you can support as well this podcast to still be independent. What else? What else? Yes, still remember that you can share, link, subscribe, whatever you want, and do it, please, in all the platforms that you are using to listen to this podcast. And remember that still, you can use Komoot to make a bit more your next exploration even better, it's autumn and here in the fall is the best time to go and ride far. If you just go to komu.com slash g like Greenland, remember that you can write broom and there you will find everything that you can and then you can get your um, area for free, your geo area for free out of yes these amazing platforms still go there and do it because yeah you can find amazing really amazing new routes over there Yes, the bicycle community is just amazing, that's what we were saying, because I was going to this event and it's the Outroot event, it was a secret event, now it's not secret anymore, we were in Davos um, testing and uh, riding for a bit of pinches and making some photos as well in the new location where it's going to be organized another event in 2022. Well, you usually think, okay, Outroot is something a bit more posh than I was expecting. It's uh, There are a lot of people that probably they think only about performances and what's and whatever. We all like them, but probably they are too focused on their nutrition or their performance to get some cool conversation. It was not like this. Everybody who took part to this event was just amazing. And I can tell you that I'm probably chatting with most of them weekly, I would say. We are chatting pretty often. And... That's the great thing, right? We sat there after a long day on the bike and we started talking with Aid, one of the participants of this event. And while I was explaining which one is the concept of this podcast and uh, why I like to talk about stuff and what's the main topic of the podcast, actually, that we are talking actually two main pillars and it's sustainability and inclusivity. Better on the other side, inclusivity is the most important pillar. And then there is sustainability, even if the two things are pretty well connected. I was explaining to him everything and all the concept around sustainable conversation and he gave me the contact of Gavin. They live in the same community, aid and care and gave it, I mean, and actually explained me this amazing concept of one tree at the time, uh, where uh, they are doing as much as they can in order not to consume too much things and actually to sell already products that are already out there. that don't need to be produced, and how to escape a bit more on the extreme consumism. So. We got in contact, we had an amazing conversation and Gavin and I, I would say that we spent basically in two days, more or less four hours on talking about concepts and ideas and everything. And the synthesis is exactly what you're going to listen in one moment. It's not going to be something like a push on buying something that is produced um, sustainably or whatever it is. It's a bit more... um, let's say, a theoretical conversation on how we can reduce uh, the packaging and the plastic packaging, the plastic in our packaging, how we can reduce the things that we consume, how we can make another model possible that is not based on owing stuff but just on using them. Listen to that, it's a great conversation, I really, really hope that you're gonna like it and it's gonna be more or less two hours in total, so take your time or just split it in a couple of chunks. I will talk to you at the end. Sustainable Conversation, episode. So, Sustainable Conversation 21, episode 2. That's probably what is going to happen. Today, in t- so, a little story. Uh, I was out, I was at an event, secret event at the Outroot, and I actually found super like minded people. And then I actually got to meet these friend now i would say that is aid and he told me look stefano uh, what are you doing blah blah i was talking about sustainable conversation and everything and he told me look stefano there is one person in my community who is building up a system i don't know how to define it let's start in this way this person is called gavin and you need to talk with him and he's actually in charge on top of one tree at the time you need to talk with him because he does so many things into the community. So we talked yesterday for a couple of hours. We've been talking already today for another half an hour. I think that out of topic about sustainability can be touched base here today. Thanks, Gavin, to be here. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. Thanks, Tano, for having me on. Um... That sounds really interesting. I'm kind of interested in your secret event.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, the point is that it was a now true secret event. I mean, it was actually having a look to a new location for one of those okay. the events and we cannot say where it was. Maybe yeah, I can great. tell you in private. Uh, we cannot say where it was until they're not presenting everything in October. So it was nothing so much secret that meeting people and riding bikes. So we didn't do anything like, I don't know, dancing on the moon was not actually one of the activities that we had done. We were just trying some roads, trying some tracks, riding some Lovely. bikes and giving feedback. It was completely fine. Everybody who wants to know more, I just, you as well, you can wait until the end of this recording, then I will push the red button and I can tell you in person without any problem. <laughs> Anybody else needs to wait until the now launch of the new Outroute events that is going to happen in October. Wow. Yeah. I actually, great. you know what I realized, Gavin? That I probably don't know or I never asked, oh, I completely forgot your surname. What's your surname?
1: Uh, so it's Fernie Jones. It, it, it was originally Jones and then I got married to my wife, uh, Sarah Fernie. Um, who I met out here, and I live in Courchevel, in the south of France. Uh, I met out here 15 years ago, um, and yes, I've taken on the name Fernie Jones, which uh, was super easy to change your name in the UK. Very, very complicated to change your name in France. So I spent the last 10 years.
0: So now you <laughs> are, you said Serafini.
1: Fernie Jones Fern- is my surname. Ah, Fernie, Fernie
0: Jones. Okay. Is, yeah. okay, 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 okay. Okay, got it, yes, but yeah, no, I, probably, no, yeah, because usually <laughs> I do this kind of sketch that I completely mispronounce name and surnames of uh, my guests, so, but actually this time <laughs> you did it already, so it's, I can mess up with your surname even now that I know how to pronounce it, but let's keep it there, let's keep it there, we, everybody knows that actually, who wants to talk with you is going to talk with Gavin Fernie Jones.
1: Perfect. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. No, yeah, as I would say, actually, Abe, may, Abe put us in contact, and uh, mm-hmm. topics are pretty, pretty interesting, but probably we can start from... Give us an intro about you, Gavin.
1: Yeah, so um, I live in a, just outside a little town called beaux um, which is in the French Alps, and it's right on the edge of the ski resort of Courchevel. Uh, and I've lived here for 15 years now, and I first, I first came out here to ski and did several winters working in the ski resort in a, in a chalet company. Um, and then about, must be about eight years ago now, moved here full time. Uh, at the same time, I set up a ski shop called The Boot Lab. It's, it's a specialist boot fitters. And we've now got two stores, one in Corshville and Meribel. Um, and then around about four or five years ago, uh, we began tackling the waste that we had in our ski shop so when we have our uh, stock delivered at the start of the season we 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 do one order so basically we don't get stock throughout the season it all comes in one great big order at the start Um, and what we end up doing is taking everything out of the plastic packaging that it comes in and putting it on display because it it looks better out of the plastic Um, but when you do that you end up with Tons and tons of packaging, uh, like a mountain of it. And we just started to look at that and think, this just, like, there's got to be a better system <laughs> um, to this problem. Uh, and from there, we be- began at first tackling that plastic waste by working with the suppliers in the ski industry. Uh, and we actually managed to remove about 10,000 plastic items from our supply, like single use plastic items from our annual supply line. Um, and then, 10,000. 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So okay. that, that was quite easy because certain things like clothing, for example, all comes pre-packaged, um, go straight out on display. So we actually spoke to one of our suppliers and said, look, we, we're going to put a saw straight onto display. Can you make the entire cardboard box, uh, waterproofed and have the, have the, have the products inside. Mm -hmm. Um, not inside the plastic bag, which they did. And they now do that for um, all of their deliveries. So they removed single-use plastic bags from the entire product line.
0: Yeah, because actually, sorry if I interrupt you here, usually when you get something like a garment, something like, let's say, a sweater, a jacket, let's do it, a jacket, usually you are getting the jacket that is singularly, packed with a plastic bag so i mean traditionally uh, singularly packed with a plastic bag and then you have all of them together in another big plastic bag and then in the box right exactly so it's the big one that you can avoid then if the the cardboard is actually waterproof and then the single one that actually because everything goes directly to the display, also this one you can get rid of
1: yeah so we actually said to them look we don't mind taking the risk of possibly the item inside getting slightly dirtied in transportation, just send it inside a box without the plastic. If it comes to us and it's you know it's slightly dirted, we'll we'll clean it, we'll put it on display. It, it's not a problem. Um, but they actually designed a box that was the larger box that was waterproof. So they got around that whole that whole issue. Um, we also did this with ski boots. So we we're a specialist ski boot fitters. Um, a ski boot is a, a plastic item designed to be outside <laughs> up on the mountain Yeah. In, in snow. Yet when it's delivered to a store, it comes inside a cardboard box and the boot is inside that box wrapped in a plastic bag. Um, and so we, we sort of said to the manufacturers, like, this is this is crazy for us. When we fit a ski boot, we do an assessment on the customer's feet. So we take lots of different measurements and we actually select the right ski boot for them. Um, so often we, we will take the boot out of the box. We will take the plastic bag off and we will test the boot on the customer's foot. Um, so the customer won't at any point see that plastic bag. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's sort of taken off behind us. And, and, and so that, that plastic bag just serves zero purpose. And so um, two seasons ago, we collected all of the wastage from the shop, all of the single-use plastic, plastic, um, slightly longer process this as well, we actually replace, so inside the foot, but inside the, the ski boot is a, a, a flat footbed. It's just, it's a sort of blank. And what we do is we replace that with a custom footbed um, to hold the person's foot in a neutral position inside the ski boot to make the boot comfortable. So again, we it, with every single boot, there'd be a plastic bag. There would also be a, a footbed that we would take out the bottom, draw around that and replace it with our custom-made footbed. So we collected all of that and, um, we struck a sort of, well, we had, we had a chat with our suppliers with our, um, our local guys and they said, and said to them, look, we've got this idea. We want to return to you all the packaging so that you can take it to your boss and say, look, this is the impact of, of one ski shop. You know, our ski shops, tiny, it's 40 square meters.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) Not big. (laughs) Um, so we took all that back to them at the end of the season and they were able to take that to their boss and say, look, this is what we get from one ski shop. We need to start addressing this. Uh, I can now confirm that on ski boots, um, for this coming winter, they are trialing in, in the, the rental ski boots. So you've got retail ski boots and you've got rental ski boots that go into rental shops. The ones that go to the rental shops now are going to come in a great big box one single box, no plastic inside, Mm because they come straight out of that box and they go onto the shelves in the rental shop. So they're going to test that this year and hopefully further down the line um, we'll remove the single-use plastic from the the retail boots. Uh, And so we started doing that. We then also started to look at other parts of our our business, such as um, staff transportation. Um, We started bringing the staff to resort by train rather than flying them out um we encourage them to take the bus to and from work because there's a free fantastic bus service in our Mm -hmm. resort or or use the ski lifts which is the dream
0: (laughs) absolutely that's perfect thing right you're going up to the mountains you want to be in the ski lift (laughs) what else yeah that's the
1: dream dream commute um and different things like that change our energy supply to renewable energy supply which is quite an easy thing to do in i mean in the alps and i know you're from from most of our energy is uh, Renewable, it's, its majority of it is hydro Around this area
0: Yeah, same thing um, here in Switzerland I actually was reading that actually from uh, um, Basically the water So everything that actually is out there Up to the month so I think that actually the hydroelectricity Is here in Switzerland something like 70% Yeah So actually, um, yeah, you're right there The impact, fortunately here Just small brackets, I don't want to interrupt you on that But that's why usually yeah. when I talk with people About flying against cars against train here in switzerland is super easy thing to think about because actually the train is on electricity because all the electricity all the electricity power is coming here in switzerland 70 75 percent out of renewal energy it's a no-brainer. If you have to move from A to B, especially here in Switzerland, where you can go really up to the mountains just with public transport, is a no-brainer. Take the train. You don't need a car. You don't need, okay, flying is a tiny country. So but that's what I mean.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously if you're going to buy an electric car uh, in Switzerland, then that's going to be run on renewable energy. If you, for example, buy an electric car in Poland, um, you pretty much can be running it on coal.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can say that more or less is the same thing in Italy. So, so I completely agree yeah. with
1: the point. From the region I'm in here, um, if you just go up the valley towards Borg San Maris, there's some really large power lines that travel over to Italy, and actually this region exports a lot of its.
0: That's wow! That's great.
1: Hydro into, into Italy as well. Um, so yeah, we did that, and then. Um, we did this, so we sort of had this culture inside the shop that we were going to try and do whatever we could and uh, and address our impact as as much as we could. And, you know, like uh, currently I, I still sell a plastic ski boot at the top of a mountain, which is obviously highly carbon intensive. Um, but we wanted to try and address as much as we could with the the sort of trying to adjust the climate issue, but also waste issue, but also impact our wider community rather than just focus on us just doing it in one shop. We kind of thought, well, you know, there's as much, there's so much we can do at the moment. Um, kind of what's the point in just stopping here and not sharing this with other people and getting other people on board. Uh, so we, we decided to run an event about this will be about three years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was Brexit day in, in. Well, it was. It was the first of many Brexit days. It didn't actually. Happen.
0: <laughs> it's now. I think it's two weeks old. Kind of like it's, it's. lasted five <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was the first day of that, and what basically was happening in resort is no, no Brits were going to f- travel for that week because they just. There was this big idea that airports were going to be closed. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, so we knew it was going to be quiet a resort, and we kind of, you know, like Brexit for my community it's kind of, yeah, it's affected us all quite a bit really. Um, Especially the sort of British um, community that's living out here. And we just want to do something positive rather than like anything negative on the day and just go, right, whatever. Um, And so we decided to do like a fix-it day outside the shop, which is a bit like um patagonia do this you know patagonia travel around and they go to different resorts and repair clothing yeah, yeah. i just yeah. it's
0: super curious because actually i think i mentioned it um i actually interviewed for the first episode of this mini nisha and yeah. she's from slovenia and she does exactly that she goes around for the oldest ski re- when it was still pop sorry when there was still possible it means going into oh, my covid jar <laughs> Uh, let me uh, I'm gonna open another bracket into the bracket Um, it's still on it's still on my COVID jar is still here all the time the time I I do or Gavin does uh, mention COVID or when it was possible uh, quarantine I think also Delta variation is gonna be now in the bucket and everything like this dropping a coin here in my COVID jar collecting everything and sending everything back to, um, uh, to the Sea Watch community, who is actually saving the refugees in Central Mediterranean. Okay, amazing. that's oh. uh That's there. So, Nietzsche actually does exactly that when it was possible, another kind in the joy, um, dying, doing exactly this for free, going, the, going into the ski resource and actually, first of mm. all, repairing everything and trying to educate people on how to maintain stuff, not to break it or waste it, also teaching people how to repair themselves. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, I'm super excited to listen to that episode because, um, yeah, that, that was the kind of model we thought, well, let's let's do something positive, like I said, that day and let's, uh, let's fix something. And we've got a really good friend called Gina. She's a, <clears throat> an Australian lives out here and she does lots of repairs for us and stuff. And we said to her, like, should we jump outside the front of the shop with a couple of sewing machines and let's see what we can fix. Um, and we also, I, I sort of struck on this idea a few, few days, like a couple of weeks before, I sort of thinking to myself well, I've got lots of extra stuff in my wardrobes that I don't use. Um, other people must have this. Can can we run a sort of like bring and buy rail? Like bring your, bring your kit in, donate it to us. We'll sell it, and then with any money we raise, we'll we'll plant trees. Um, and we just got so much stuff. Like it, it was like amazing in one sense of being able to raise loads of money to plant what ended up being eighty thousand trees. Um, but on the other hand, it was completely shocking the amount of decent kit we all have um, locking around sort of thing. Uh, so we ran the day. It was, it was super successful. We actually did a couple more and a couple more ski resorts. Um, got some friends over in Morzine. and we went over and, and seen, see them there and, and did a day with them. Um, and, it, and it just was a fantastic day. It was fun. People got really engaged with the idea of repairing the stuff, of keeping their products going. Personally, I donated a ski jacket that a season I bought for 20 euros and for the rest of that season I kept seeing my jacket on the mountain which was just brilliant. Yeah. I was like hey, that jacket's been in my wardrobe like for the last 12 months, what's it doing there? Like Now it's out, it's cool, I keep seeing it I'm like yeah. Um, and, then, and then on that day we sort of had a lot of contact with other smaller businesses around us. Um, in, in our community there's quite a lot of I'd say quite a lot of entrepreneurial people. If you want to live here um, as a Brit or coming from other communities, you generally kind of have to make your own space within the community. You know, there's not tons of like year round jobs, for example. Um, Like it's very, very seasonal. So a lot of our friends sort of run and own businesses and they said, we'd like to get involved. Um, How do we start to address the impact of our business? And we just struck upon the idea of forming a French association called One Tree at a Time, um, which works with both our community, as in our local individual community, but also our local business community to um, to address our our impact on climate change, but also on waste.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. I want to go deep into the association itself, but actually I want to ask you one question that is a bit visionary, let's put it in this way, but just to open a bit of conversation that it's I don't know, it actually was hitting a bit my curiosity. And it's actually about actually a question between also the shop itself and actually what is your activity now with uh, One Tree at a Time. What do you think about, because that's the main thing, actually, that's something that is really uh, rattling in my mind for a bit of time. I truly believe that probably another, a next good step in terms of quality of things that are coming durability of things that you are using and um, as well as impact that you have on the environment what do you think on actually a model in the future if it's possible where you only sell especially the things about sports let's talk about sports uh, when all you only sell custom made tailor-made items garments boots can be also just equipment. So, I mean, bicycles as well as, as snowboards, as well as, um, yes, skis so everything like this. So everything like this that you want would be only um, custom-made if you want something that it's really for you and stuff. And everything else in the market can be handled by things that are already out there. Repaired items, secondhand hand items... Um, I don't know, something that you are actually pre- already already produced stuff that will not uh, are not be sold. So if you want something out of from the shelf, you can get something that is already out. If you want something for you, if you want something and you have enough time to plan and everything like this, because you are skilled on doing that, because that's the other point. If you want, you want something else from the shelf, if you are not super passionate or you are passionate and you care about the environment or you are a newbie it's okay, you want to start, you get it from the shelf, you can also rent it if you want. While on the other yeah. side, if you're now super passionate of that, you know what you want and you know what you mean, uh, need, you can get something that will last longer and so you can make something custom-made. I'm not talking in the business way because I think that by doing that, probably a lot of a lot of people actually that are employing in this market in this industry they need to do something different, and also the industry itself itself needs to actually to move away from extreme consumism and extreme production to something different. But in terms of something like everybody of us having something to use, let's put it in this way: sports, so hobby thing. Would you think that this could be something like a model that can be feasible as a shop owner and as uh, one tree at a time man?
1: Um, yes, I think it can be, and I think it's gonna it's gonna rely on some big changes because it's gonna rely on society changing and having a different opinion to the, the sort of throwaway culture that we have now. Like <clears throat> we do need to. I mean, uh, we do need to encourage society to reuse and repair and not to buy brand new stuff and and to reduce consumption. And we've actually probably got a couple of projects on the run that sort of fit loosely into this idea that you're discussing. And one is around disabilities in in snow sports. Um, And there's lots of people like it's skiing and, and snow sports are fantastic um activity to do if you're disabled. Like there's great options to get out there in sit skis um to really be able to explore the mountain freely um and 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 it's a fantastic opportunity but we're working and we're working with a charity that often has an individual that needs a specific type of clothing. So say um they've got a disability that doesn't allow them to use their arms particularly well and they sit in a sit ski they need a, a, an item of clothing that will cover them completely and keep them warm and and what we're doing here is we are going for our stock of clothing and we're modifying it to, to fit their needs so we're kind of making one off custom items for for that individual so you know you know like we, i think you do a lot on this podcast about inclusivity
0: absolutely absolutely it's kind yeah. of uh, the keyword of it it's everything that actually is everything linked by that yeah
1: yeah and and you know if you want to go and ski in the mountains uh and you're and you're disabled and you need a specific item you, you don't want to be just chucked in the biggest item out there to cover your sit ski for example and it's just this is what you're having you know you might be a, a younger girl who wants a specific color who still wants to feel like they look good on the mountains Absolutely. they're not doing great things so we using that as a, as a sort of model to be able to go for our stock and say to say to a client like right we can modify this item of clothing um you know say if you're missing an arm you don't want to be skiing around with an arm just flapping
0: absolutely in the, and
1: the jacket flapping in the wind so we're, we're modifying that to make sure that it's waterproof and also you've got a one-off piece um, and we're doing it as well i mean I, I did it yesterday with an item um i do a lot of trail running um, and I had a I run in a commute hat, one of the cycling yeah. sort of commute hats, uh, and it's really hot at the minute. So I fitted a um, I've used another item to fit like a shade shaded section to the back of the cap to keep the sun off the back of my neck. Um, you know that's not something you can and i like when sort of head when i run I like when sort of headphones you've got on now like the big headphones so i I need to be able to make it work around that like that's just the way i like to run and so i just modified some of the stuff in the shop here to make that i didn't need to go and look online and and try and find a product so i can just make it here that's really
0: wonderful wonderful, sorry (laughs)
1: yeah yeah it's good it's uh yeah it's now a a commute rafa and one tree logo <laughs> <laughs> running cap to keep the sun off the back of my neck
0: yeah, that's perfect. Um,
1: and i do think we you know for, for me personally um that that, that item is going to work just as i want it to work and i've also not impacted the planet negatively because that product was here in my space i didn't need to go searching online for it to buy it somewhere else um we have the The people locally who are super skilled on the sewing machine, um, who can help us modify these products and make them into the exact shape we want. The difficulty I'd say we transfer into that market is that the idea is it's there's just a whole huge um, social change. It's taken away the jobs that are in manufacturing, which might be in you know majority of the jobs now are in China, and removing like moving them back, um, to Europe, for example, and having them more involved in end of life of products. So there's a really interesting stat that if you, if we turn towards a circular economy, so if we, we treat every single item that we have as circular, that we've got to keep it in our economy, got to keep using that material, like can't go to landfill, can't go into our natural environments. Um, for every two jobs, that you would have had in waste disposal um, you would create 20 jobs in repair and refurbishing and like and and sort of yeah recycling of that product so you could create a whole industry of jobs based around that but that would mean the transfer of jobs from countries like china into into western western jobs so it involves a whole social change and what what you're not going to be able to do if you do that is buy cheap clothing of course. Um, and I think that's, that's where the, the difficulty in that sort of subject lies in the, the transformation, of the jobs of moving it over and, and for the consumer to realize that they need to buy less stuff, but buy more quality or spend a little bit of money on getting something repaired or spend a little bit of money on getting something customized. Um, and I mean, that's difficult. Do you think that's, I mean, do you think that's possible?
0: I don't know, that's an amazing topic. Um, the point is that I truly believe that... So we are all the time kind of blaming, I do. Let's put it in this way, not we, I do. We are all the time kind of blaming uh, the society of not being sensible enough in terms of um, uh, something like, of buying, what they are buying, what they are consuming, because it's not only about the items itself, it's also, if I have to be completely sincere, it's also about food, and it's also about a lot of things. The point is that we can change the society because already the society is changing, and I mean, uh, we are both we are both in our forties. I'm forty. You're forty as well. So we are both forty, and already the thoughts that in our small community is coming out of people that are already a bit more thoughtful in what they buy, how they buy, um, how they are moving around, the need or not of. Buying a car, the need of not taking a flight, the need or not of buying one new thing all the time, and in terms of food, the need or not of getting, for example, zucchini all year long, or uh, strawberries all year long, these kind of sensibilities in our age is there is the tip of the iceberg is not everybody of us there, but is still there. And the more you go down in the age, the more this sensibility comes out. So I truly believe that you can see it, right? Strike for futures. And uh, all this kind of movement that in people that are way younger than I am uh, are already super um, well-informed that they know what they're doing. I think that this is moving in the right direction because the direction is not letting people... Uh, pushing people on buying things that are second hands. Uh, the uh, yeah. the way is not pushing people or getting only the thing that they need. Uh, sorry, on getting only the um, uh, uh, the things that are more durable or um fr- environmental friendly. The push yeah. is getting people have only the things that they need because yeah. you don't need a new pair of cheap shoes every year. For example, you don't need to eat strawberries in January. You don't need to... And these things is already there, I think. This society is already moving there. It's just the point is that I think that the society itself, people themselves, are already there for the change. But I believe that it's a bit more the system that is not ready for changing. The system is not ready to give them back people strawberries, only in summertime, I think, summertime, uh, spring, summertime. Uh, The society is not ready to uh, give give people shoes that are um, snowshoes that they can use for 20 years and then with a good maintenance also give it to your son or to your grandson. I think that it's not a point of the society, it's a bit more a thing of the industry because... Selling more, producing more, um, throwing stuff and uh, getting actually a lot of... Because also there, uh, plastic single-use packages, there is somebody producing it. And the easy way is produce more, to sell more, to pay yeah. people less to produce them and to get them out to the market. The difficult way is reduce them and try to transfer, for example... Less people working on that, doing more durable things, but employing more people, for example, of researching the new material that can be uh, reused more and more time. Or repair this plastic bag, because we need plastic in a small amount anyways. But um, have this plastic bag repaired in a certain way. So translating the mass of people that already learned how to produce and how to do a task that is easy to do, and it's easy to learn translating them in something that is a bit more specialized and pay people mm-hmm. more in order to have something that is more durable. I don't know if I actually made the point.
1: Yeah, no, and I and I, I, two, two little comments I've got on that is <clears throat> when you talk about generational change in, in our in my shop, um, I've got eight members of staff and seven of us uh, are vegans or vegetarians for, for environmental reasons, there's six non flyers. So there is definitely a culture of change coming. Um, some of them hate using new products. it's kind of it's kinda of weird. Like I, you know, I I've, I own and work in a ski shop and and I have a couple of other staff members in that same ski shop who are really anti purchasing, it seems like it's <laughs> to tasty, but I you know, I haven't bought anything new stuff to my mum missing. I can't think the last time I bought when we're talking about a product like um <clears throat> clothing or Bikes or anything to do with the outdoors i can't think it's going to be three or four years since i bought something new and it probably was a pair of trainers for running in like um I, I, you know um i do a lot of running and i've recently got into repairing them as much as possible and um, to try and keep my trainers going uh, and then secondly i guess what you're talking about like i don't want to mention uh, the c word but uh <laughs> We've kind of just been for a period of we time. We can do it if
0: you want. I can drop the I can drop the coin. It's fine.
1: Um, yeah, we've just been through COVID and a period of time where where we have transformed certain parts of the the economy. And you know, it's, uh, suddenly people that worked on Formula One cars were suddenly manufacturing um, respir- respir- respirators and uh, companies that were doing something completely different were suddenly creating masks or, or or testing kits and things like that. So <clears throat> I think if there's a will, there is a possibility to transform certainly jobs within a community and within an economy and move them into and uh, into different areas. So I think that is possible. I think where we, we're really going to struggle, certainly when we talk about consumption and things, is I, I live in a, in a ski resort. This area that I live in is only here because of five weeks of the year really mm. like you know, christmas holidays half-term holidays uh, easter holidays where we have a great big influx of very wealthy people um to the region you know if we start reducing the amount of people that travel here um by plane like uh, you, you can we're kind of fortunate where i am you can get from northern europe from the uk to here via via eurostar pretty conveniently it's it's, it's fast it's, it's as fast as flying really because if you're going back to the UK and you've got to travel to Geneva and then fly into London and then transferred somewhere else it's actually almost as quick to jump on the train uh, but you know there's three or four trains a day whereas in the winter season we've got thousands and thousands of people coming in here <clears throat> day after day so some parts are going to be super hard to change um, because it's going to make such a big effect. On, our, on, on the community, um and it's—I guess—I get—we we tend to sometimes get a little bit of maybe criticism, maybe not the wrong word, but we certainly get questioned about the work that we are doing uh within an industry that is obviously a, a, a huge, huge polluter. Like, mm. yeah, most people have got to fly to get here. All your projects that you're talking about. You know, you talk about projects traveling around the world. Avocados will come here in winter and be served in this resort. They've got to come up a mountain. Um, and, and it does mean that we've got to change that entire culture of like how this mountain operates, which I, I actually think it is possible. We are putting a proposal together to um, deliver to the resort There's a competition they're running in, in December to pitch uh, the vision of a ski resort in 2030. Uh, and our visit vision is... Is both social and environmental um, because the two are so so closely entwined. Um, you need you need to empower your community and bring your community on board uh, to encourage change. But also you need to celebrate the local. Like it, it'd be much better, in my opinion, for us to celebrate the local food of the Savoie rather than an avocado. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think there are definitely ways that we can change the system. And I agree with you, the will. Uh, and the, the, the want to do this is building, um, that, that's plainly obvious. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually interested in why Stefani you've decided to, cause you, did you, you, started this podcast focused around, uh, inclusivity in, in cycling and you're doing this little mini series, and I've, and I've li- listened to a couple of your podcasts based around brands that are, are trying to uh, because seven mesh that are trying to change the way that they, they produce and uh, deliver stuff. Um, wh- why, why have you made that choice to sort of look into this field?
0: Um, so the question is pretty, is pretty interesting. Um, I have to put here a couple of layers. So the first layer is that, of course, cycling is. The main topic and the inclusivity is the main topic, but it's everything related. Because for me, cycling means enjoying yourself and the nature more. This is what's cycling for me. This cycling thing, though, uh, can be actually also there uh, put in different parts. Because cycling can be as well, um, I don't know, for example, improve yourself physically as well. By training and stuff, but still this means being outside and still enjoying yourself, test yourself and being outside, even if you are probably checking your numbers more than checking around. But still, you are outside, you are in nature and everything like this. Um, But still, so this is actually the inclusive part. And I truly believe that Mm -hmm. for me, all cyclists are the same. And uh, there are, for example, cyclists that are mountain biking cycling, that they just have a clunker and they want to go around the city for commuting, uh, fixed gear cycling, leisure cyclists, gravel cycling, all this thing is only one thing, in my opinion, and it's cycling. For this reason, cycling inclusivity, all the goals of your life are the same until you don't discriminate anybody else. That's what is not welcome in my kind of cycling. You don't have to discriminate Anything. I mean, not totally between cyclists, not totally between genders, not totally between nationalities, anything. So this is my part of cycling. But by saying that, I actually realize over and over that um, cycling as it is right now it became something different to that, something different that it was, for example, for my grandfather who uh, grandfather was actually cycling to go to work or to everybody else was just using cycling to get better itself or himself or herself better. Um, why that? Why it became different? Because now, and that's what I was mentioning, there are tribes, because actually I know brands that call that really tribes, and they mean mountain bikers are something, gravel cyclists are something else, a Commuter are something else. And in order to... F- so this why is done, this thing? Because you need to create uh, different tribes to sell to the different tribes something right. different, yeah. right? Yeah. And here we can go really, really deep into this thing. And uh, the point is that basically you are not welcome into the... Uh, well, you are not welcome, let's say. People are watching you in a different way. Uh, if you're coming to your local Saturday club ride with a T-shirt instead of a jersey, or um, a T-shirt from the broom wagon instead of the T-shirt from uh, a tree at the time, let's say. So yeah. Yeah. you are really identified by the typology of clothing that you have and the, by the brand. And this actually is a marketing thing. It's a marketing yep. thing because you need to sell your product because you need to get money out of it, basically. And you need actually to give people what they what they need. And this comes as well with not only the specific clothing or the specific brand, but also the specific season. And here we go. So it's really the quintessential consumistic you need to have the clothes so if you have a mountain bike a gravel bike and a road bike and a commuter bike because you love cycling and you would need actually one item for each of the things or you think that you need it you need your uniform and they really hate this everybody calls actually the cycling kit uniform and that's something that they hate we are not in the army we don't need to be recognized between each other we are already recognizable because we are on the bike but everybody says you need a uniform for road cycling the uniform for commuter cycling the uniform for gravel cycling and the uniform for mountain bike and this is pushing this uniform mind into people's thoughts because then if you have, not, if you are riding your gravel bike on a road cycling kit, you're not part of us. And it's the same thing no. on everything else. So that's why I actually moved into this thing. Of course, I'm kind of um, really sensible anyways into the sustainability part and whatever. But I just want to tell with this conversation to everybody that you are good on a bike, even if you are good on a road bike, even if you have a t-shirt. You are good on a bike, even if you have a cycling kit or a cycling jersey from the 80s. You are good on the bike, even if your bicycle is not the last carbon bike forever. You don't need to buy new things. You don't need to buy the right clothing that the society is pushing you to have in order to be happy on the bike. That's my point.
1: I, I I thought about this last night, actually, about my... So I do do, do a little bit of road cycling. I'm not... like mad keen like i would go out, you know 10 times during the summer um and I've, I've got a carbon bike that i got maybe 10 years ago now and i just thought to myself yes there's absolutely no reason why that couldn't be my bike for the rest of my life like it it completely does everything i need to do on a bike it's not going to break like it, it'll be fine like bicycles like when, when when we um so if you buy a ski there's every chance on your first or second run that you could hit a rock and you could destroy that ski mm-hmm. beyond and be on air and, and, and never reuse it again. Something like a bike, like you can look after and treat well and, you know, have it for your life. Like there's, there's, there's kind of no need. And I think we, we discussed loosely yesterday about, um, about gravel, the, the sort of new idea of gravel biking. Um, and I've seen recently that Adidas are releasing a gravel bike shoe, and in my mind, I'm looking at that going like, why do you need a specific shoe to cycle on gravel? I don't know. Maybe there is a maybe there is a reason. <laughs> um, and, uh, and 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 the same like, why do you need a specific bike? Can you modify your bike that you currently have? Can you just put like a wider tire on that bike, like, and and keep using the same? Like for all your different disciplines, and uh, you know, I'd like to see that happen in in skiing as well. Like we have this 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 thing in skiing where you have maybe a a jacket that's suitable for super cold conditions, or a jacket suitable for touring, like ski touring for going uphill, or a jacket that's suitable for this. And you end up with like so many items of products, and then you've got a ski that's specific for touring, you've got a ski that's specific for beast, a uh, powder, and, and kind of like. It, it does matter sometimes when you're when you're out skiing, you know, if you're skiing deep powder and you're on a super skinny ski, it's not going to be as much fun, but does it really matter that much? Like I've kind of, in, in, in my life, I've kind of got to the stage where like being out there and enjoying the mountains is important, but what I'm on, like doesn't really bother me anymore <laughs> or what I'm wearing. Like it doesn't really concern me that much. Um, you know, I still have a great day with my mates, so like how, how much does it does it sort of matter? Um, but that's you know, that whole idea that I'm feeling personally and that I am driving forward with one tree at a time is in a parallel and complete opposite to my other career, which is running a ski boot shop. um, That's something that I wanted to
0: ask you. Exactly. How you combine that? Because, of course, you have on a certain point, you you have a shop and you are, you were talking before about 10,000 single uh, bags, plastic bags. This means that actually you are selling in one season. You are selling a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of stuff for a small shop, of course, because of, yeah, of course there are uh, shops that are selling 10,000 items in one week. But you yeah. are selling some stuff. But also on the other side, with your second brain, <laughs> let's say, you're also trying here to push people on repairing more things, more than buying new things every year. How do you combine that?
1: I guess it's uh, it's actually something we have had as a culture in the shop from the very start. So if someone pops into the to our store and they bought a ski boot from somewhere else and it's uncomfortable we will make that ski boot fit if possible mm-hmm. so a lot of places will say oh that ski boot's wrong like you need this boot, we'll modify the boot and, and make it work, that's always our first port of call is to try and make the product the customer already owns work for them and then when we sk- fit a ski boot we are looking, you know it comes with a comfort guarantee so we are under pressure as a shop and as a seller to make sure that is the right ski boot for that person because the guarantee is explicit. If it if it isn't working, it's uncomfortable, we will take the boot back Okay. And financially. That's that's quite impactful in my business. So we spend a lot of the time in an assessment uh, making sure that boot is correct um, so that the person can ski it for the next 20 years rather than ski it for a few years and go, oh, this, this boot's not right for me. Um, so there are certain parts of the business that Sort of have that culture in it already, but it's still you still can't deny that we sell a lot of products, um, yeah. new products that have a massive, massive carbon footprint, and so it is really difficult to balance that off against what I do in this store here. So while we're having this conversation, I'm in a, a different shop that we've opened. Um, it's part of the, um, it's part of one street at a time. It's a store that is focused on our local community. So in this space, we um, run workshops on repairing clothing, on bike servicing. So we've done some workshops with Commute, and they've sponsored our community, and they've helped us run some servicing workshops from this space. Uh, But we also sell second-hand clothing, but also kind of ex-demo clothing or waste clothing from the industry. So we'll receive... Um, old ski instructor uniforms, for example. So, I mean, this is kind of a problem in itself, but uh, ski like the ski instructors will have a certain brand of clothing for their uniform, and the brands change their colors annually. So they'll, you know, for example, they might ski in North Face, so might be orange one year, the next year is blue, so they change their uniform to that color. Um, and so they end up, and, and to be fair, like if your ski instructor skiing 20 weeks in it, in a in a jacket, like in hard conditions. It, it's probably not fit for use for that kind of that kind of um skiing for a further year. Might be great for someone like myself who's you know, you know, if it's raining outside and I'm working in the shop, I'm not gonna be racing out to go skiing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're a ski instructor, you're working in that yeah you, you know you have no choice. You're you're out in that condition. So for someone, for someone like myself, like you know, maybe I, I can make use of that jacket. So we take those jackets and we actually patch over the logos so that the the skiers um, aren't out skiing in, in a ski uniform so that, you know, you might not be a, a fantastic skier and the ski school doesn't want to see that non-fantastic skier skiing around in their in their logo uniform. So that makes total sense. So we actually patch over them. Um, and so, yeah, we've created this space, which is kind of the absolute opposite um to what I do up in resort and and honestly my I I see my future more in the space I'm sat in now Mm. and, and that's where that's where I'm trying to move towards like I do think that it's important that I still influence that shop space up in resort because we are having an influence on the brands they are listening to us um we are bringing other people on board we've got touch points for customers we are recycling we are um, repairing stuff in the store there as well like we'll repair a ski boot rather than sell a new one for example so the culture does flip between the two um, but I certainly see in the future that a store like we're operating down here um, has a real value to the local community and 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 provides a space to deliver the sort of the change that we need going forward and it's nothing like no, look, what we're doing down here is nothing like um, technically advanced or difficult or futuristic, but what we are providing is a sort of cultural space for, for change. So so when you, you come into the shop space, the, the, the thing that you see, first of all, is just a huge desk at the front, um, and, and that's the space where we have the classes for repairing, the workshops for servicing. We We sit down with companies here and discuss how we can improve our um, environmental impacts and we sit down with locals and discuss how we can change our energy supplies and 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 how we can convert the the energy that's coming into our house um, and yeah it's it's kind of just a space within a community that allows those things to happen yeah it's funded by us selling secondhand clothing and, and repaired clothing yeah um we're, we're very lucky to have, have a few kind of brands on board um, in the ski industry, we have a brand called Planks, which is a UK brand, and they donate um, all the a warranty kit or end of stock kit, which we then sell throughout the season. We have um, a cycling brand called Ravello from the UK that donates cycling gear. Um, and a lot of the time, this sort of stuff that they donate to us is either sample kit or like some of the time it's it's returns from online sales. It is, it's quite tricky for a brand if they send out an item and say you, you try it on and you take the tag off and you return it. The, the brand's going to accept the return because they want to keep you as a customer. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to do that. But if the tag's not there, it's impossible for them to resell that product. It's I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know for a fact, but I'm guessing, I know, I know their cycling gear is made in China. I'm guessing most cycling gear is made not in Europe. Um, and so getting a new tag uh, is just not feasible yes and so th- these things get delivered they get sent out to us and we we sell them from this shop space um it, it gives the companies a chance to deal with their waste um you know i think we were saying yesterday that if you have all this stuff just sat in the corner of your your office space it's, it's taking up space so it's costing you financially to store this product it's it's cost you to create this product so you literally might as well have it out there on, on, you know, someone might as well be cycling in your kit, so that they see someone else. It goes, oh, that Rivello stuff's lovely, um, and so yeah, we've got that. The, we've got the the businesses, the brands helping us to fund this space, and then from the space, we just allow the community to come along with ideas and and, and create change. Okay. Um. So yeah, the two do. <laughs> coming back to your question two, are very different, and um, I, I still think to to really tackle the big issues that we have today, we need to focus on both of those models. Makes sense. Um you know, we need to and I and I know you 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 put me in touch with um uh,
0: shift cycle and culture. Yeah.
1: culture. And that, that's very much their idea, isn't it? It's um you know it's it's connecting the brands, the community, maybe the individuals and within cycling and, and trying to deliver uh yeah, trying to create a culture of change, really. Yeah. Did be- you, so you, what's your involvement with that project, Tim?
0: I'm actually fun. inside on that since basically the beginning. I'm a really good friend with uh, Lian. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, we are, because as we were saying, there are different communities that are there in the shift cycling culture. Uh, there is the community, uh, the industry community. So basically yeah. your shop side. That basically helping also kind to change the behaviors and how to reduce the impact uh, of uh, the the impact actually of packaging or whatever it is, their production and everything. So this is one part. Then there is actually the part a bit more of the, I think it's called the creatives and it's a bit more how to drive this message, how to Mm -hmm. um, create together initiative. For example, once or twice a year, uh, a year we are doing um, the clunkers ride that is basically take out your clunker from uh, your cellar, fix it a bit, do something, a little maintenance thing, go out and ride this bike and make a group ride with it. So everybody can see that actually cycling is enjoyable not only with your um last year this year carbon bike but also just with another bike and then you can start riding again or if you just think okay but that's cool it's so cool to ride it but i don't want to ride it because i have also another one you can also sell it and make somebody else happy with your bike instead of keeping it into the cellar. there is as well more or less in the usually as organized at the same time is the um, uh, how do you call it? Uh, the Basically, there is a little market or whatever you are doing where you can swap the parts. So you have, for okay. example, old Dendl bar that you don't use as, and it's there in yeah, your yeah. seller. You take it out and you swap it, for example, because now, for example, now I'm in the need of a new hub to repair it or even better, a new wheel for my gravel bike because it's destroyed. I don't want to buy a new one. So Mm -hmm. the easiest thing is going to the markets, going for a super easy and cheap uh, rear wheel, and then something like change it with what you have. But the thing that I would love to do is actually uh, repairing it, but it's not the easiest, especially here in Zurich, because it's more expensive to repair uh, the hub and put back all the spokes. That, I mean, three times more than buying a normal one. So the thing that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to maybe contact somebody who can help me with making this work and then I can just get the hub or even better somebody else who has a back wheel in their cellar that they're not using. I can swap it. I have tons of parts. I have tons of tires that are brand new. I'm just waiting for the new one to to get wasted and to get the new one. Or I have an handlebar that I'm not using. I have a lot of these things. And this is the way, right? Something like this circular economy on doing these things. So basically, we are organizing these things and also some media things. And this sustainable conversation actually popped up into my mind more or less from the same idea, just even just raising the topic. So part of the creative community, because then the, the last part of the community is people. Like everybody, that can be me as well, that want to have a bit more of information on how and what we can do in order to, yes, in order to get better on uh, on this kind of topic. So that's my involvement. I've there inside since the beginning. I remember, actually, the first conversation that we had with Liane, 2018, probably. with Fiola about that. And yeah, I'm super enthusiastic on that, especially because I think it's a great topic and because I think that we are all based on the same topics. That is, try not... because climate change... we were discussing about that yesterday, and this is one of the biggest topics. Climate change is there. Uh, We can all see it. And you can see it probably more than I do, up there to the mountains and we all love to ride bicycle in the mountains we all love to ski in the mountains we all love to hike in the mountains the point is that with continuing this way our lovely experience on being out there can be modified because of something that we can uh change so and this is basically all the the foundation of it
1: yeah no it's fantastic i really look forward to uh meeting Leon. sounds like a a great idea, and some of those, some of those things just discussed there, we kind of do here. We've got um, we've got a rail outside the front of the shop that's a, a children's rail, and that's just a swap rail. Or you don't even have to swap, you know, just take some it off it as and when you want. And we get the community to drop off um, any items of clothing that they're not using for their kids, and, and especially like in the ski industry, like if you're going to wear some a, a jacket or some ski pants as a child, you're probably going to grow out of them within one or two years. Um, there's just no need to go and buy any more of those items. We have that within our community here. So let's swap it. Let's get them out of the back of our wardrobes and into the, the correct space. Um, and that's something that I, I see that we can kind of do within a community and make it and, and sort of empower our community. Like it, it, we don't need, we just don't, especially when it comes to clothing. This is my personal experience and i know the stat out there is that we have enough clothing to clothe the next six generations you know my personal experience i don't need to buy new clothing products it's just just not necessary i can repair i can fix i enjoy repairing i enjoy celebrating the repair like i'll put a patch on something and i'll make sure it's a color to the to the to the color of the jacket for example so that it can sort of celebrate that it's been repaired um and we can just we can do that we don't need uh, we don't need to buy new and i i've certainly got to a stage in my life where i don't get any reward like personally from a sort of like, psychological point of view buying from something new i don't get excited by it i i guess that's why some people do mm-hmm. keep buying and consuming because they feel like it, it provides them with it, an excitement or it fulfills something but for me i get much more excitement from making a commute cap into a, you know, into a cap that I can go running in the mountain with and, and, and serving a purpose yeah. um, for a specific job than I do out of searching online and buying something. Like, it, it just doesn't really fulfill a kind of need for me, to be honest. And uh, what, I, what I find that's really interesting is that I think in the outdoors that this cultural change is happening across the industries, like I think it's happening in cycling with something like shift cycling culture is a fantastic idea and i really love their strategy i think it's really clear and and a great idea we're trying to do this in in, in my community um we've got friends doing exactly the same in another organization called Montanvert over in morzine um we've got this happening in the running industry in the uk there's rerun clothing which uh uh, are promoting the reuse of running gear and they're teaching you how to repair your running trainers so so for myself I've I'm big into my running and you know the manufacturer will tell you if you do a lot of running your trainers will last five to six months um I'm now on three or four years because I'm patching them up following their their ways of repair and, and I'm patching these trainers to keep them keep them going as long as possible and I and I, and I think these sort of outdoor industries like you said that uh, you can clearly see in my backyard that climate change is happening. I don't need science. Yeah. I don't need an IPCC report to tell me that. You know, um, I work at an altitude of sixteen fifty, so sixteen hundred and fifty meters. Uh, it rains more at that altitude than it did when I was working there ten years ago. Like, okay. um, if I speak to my neighbours, who have lived in my village for, you know, one of them is ninety two and she. She's got a lovely vegetable patch and several apple trees. If I speak to her, she says it's much more difficult for her to grow produce now. Wow. It's much more difficult for those trees to produce the same quantity uh, of of fruit that they would have done 50 years ago. Like, um, yeah, like my 92-year-old neighbor Janine is a great example of just saying, well, Mm. something's happening. I I can see it. I can see a change in the weather. Um, And so we kind of, I, I, I kind of live in a, in a community, I feel, that's engaged on this subject. Um, they are not only engaged on it in the sense that they can see it happening, but they seem to be willing to get involved and, and see what they can do to influence the, the subject and see if they can change the way they they live and operate. Um, oh one second yeah, do it. no know. worries uh, she's just, uh, I think it's just, uh, just devoted. So that's Dorota someone just popped in the shop Dorota actually makes um, uh, she makes well she collects and forages local tea that we sell in the store here so she goes out and collects like tons and tons of different herbs from all the mountains around us okay like she's Polish and she's got an amazing understanding of like mushrooms uh, wow. you know, just really good at foraging traditionally in Poland they do a lot of foraging um and so yeah, she collects and, and makes tea. She does uh, dandelion honey as well. So at the start of the yeah, season. you showed
0: me yesterday. Wow. <laughs> so she's
1: just going. She's just going through the clothing.
0: <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so sure. it, yeah uh, just say, uh, whenever she's coming or whatever, feel free have a yeah, conversation. Yeah, sure. we, it's not a problem here to be interrupted. That's actually exactly the feeling of the community that you are nurturing. I want to ask you a question, um, Gavin. And uh, I actually have some of those uh, that are pretty practical questions but the first that i would ask is you're talking about okay that all a lot of clothing actually there are second hands that you have to repair and everything but one of the ideas that is out there i think lately is that most of the products that are i would say really bunch percentage, a good percentage of the products that are produced right now uh, in the world, also for the outdoor, they are not good to be repaired because the material are not the best and whatever. How do you think that's uh, that's true? So how many of the clothing that you are actually getting to the shop, repairing them and reselling them, whatever, they're really meant to be used for a lot of time?
1: Yeah, anything like this, uh, tape, seam tape, like Cortex, outerwear is extremely difficult to repair to the level uh, that, that, that it was created at so say a zip goes on the cortex jacket very very difficult to replace that zip and make it as waterproof as when it was purchased ver- ver- but impossible bonjour <laughs> <laughs> um i'm just gonna try on some clothing but yeah um yeah it's very difficult to repair that to the standard also what i would say with Ski gear in particular, and I don't know whether this is the same in cycling, um, some of it's become kind of, I would describe as over-functional. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the one I know, but, uh, you know, we'll have five pack- pockets on the jacket. And so that's five zips to, to potentially go wrong. Um, that's five zips that, you know, would would be pretty much impossible to repair 100% on, on a... Um, on a Gore-Tex t- 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 uh, tape-seam jacket. So yeah, I think, for me, if I was a designer right now, I would find this period of history really, really exciting. Yeah, as, as I was saying, I feel like as a, a designer now, in, in any industry, you could really embrace this change that's coming and, and make the products of the future. For me, in skiing, it would be a product that is much easier to repair with actually less function, um, as in less features, like, do we really, really, truly need five pockets on a on a jacket? Does 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 every jacket out there need like ventilation under the? So in skiing, we have a lot of ventilation under the armpits. So there's another couple of pairs of zips that can go wrong. Um, you know, like do do we truly need all that function? And is it possible to make that jacket easily repairable for a shop like ours? Um, is it possible to make a ski, for example, that you know? as I said earlier, unfortunately, you can break a If you break that ski, you can take it apart and you can reuse the parts, like make it easy to take the metal out of the edges. And and, and can we design that into the products that we create? And I don't know, in, in cycling, just, I think Mesh, Seven Mesh talks about that a bit, about creating super functional clothing. Um, and, I, and I think that is important. I think we need to, you know, these these bits of kit do need to work on the mountain, for sure. Um, they do need to work on your bike. There's no point in making a, a, a an item of clothing on the bike that's not functional. But have we got to a stage where, you know, to sell a product, we keep adding on additional features that actually, yeah, maybe, are completely necessary.
0: But at the end of the day, actually, is it is actually the task of the um a repairing shop like yours to maybe understanding which one of these zippers of these pockets or these functional things are really necessary and which other ones can actually you can easily get rid of and still have something to uh let's say something to repair and still using the the clothing that you are that you're repairing, right? Yeah
1: exactly. And for us, you know what we do with a lot of repairs. Um just due to timing and costing, say if uh, a breast pocket zip is, uh, is broken on, on a jacket, we will patch over that patch over that zip. We will just patch it over so that pit, that zip is no longer functional and then we will reseal it from the inside to make sure it's waterproof. And if if I hang that jacket side by side uh, with the same jacket that hasn't had that repair, like the, and this has happened several times, the customer that walks into the store will buy the one where the zip, the zip has been patched over. Like They want to show the, the repair, they want to celebrate the repair. Um, so that sort of proves, doesn't it, that that function wasn't 100% necessary,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, another thing that I want to ask you is actually, because I think that anyways, the um, another thing that is pretty important and consumer... Yeah, yeah just one second, One yeah, second.
1: So I think uh, this it's this yep. It's too small. The
0: other one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yes. Thank, Thank you very much. much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. Perfect. One customer yeah, is happy. Yeah, happy. <laughs> happy customer. Yeah. Yeah. You see. <laughs> Thank you. Very Thank
0: welcome. you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Um, no, another thing that I want to ask you, actually, and uh, super happy to hear happy customers coming around, uh, no. is that another pa- another main point that usually cons- customers consumers have on their side is the price, right? I want to buy something that is cheap or whatever. Just to give us an idea, so. Let's take two items. So you have a jacket, brand new jacket that probably you are selling on uh, in your shop. Then you have a jacket that actually, for example, is uh, as you were saying, it's something that was laying around in the wear, um, in the warehouse of some of the um, of some of the brands there. And actually, you are selling it there at one, three at a time. And then you have a jacket that is repaired. Which one is the difference on price between the three of them?
1: Um so we sell them, we would sell those like we would sell the worn one at the cheapest, cheapest rate. Um, we would then sell the repaired one. Like part of the function of this store is to make sure that products are used and that materials are staying in use. So we effectively, we need to cover the, the cost of the repair and then cover the cost of running the store and employing someone, yeah. um, you know and we want to keep we want to make some funds to put into other little projects that we're running. Um, but the way that we have set this up, I, I have brand new jackets with tags on from a ski school, so it's a 460 euro uh ski jacket. We we patch over the logos and we sell it for 120 euros. Um, one fourth
0: of the price, then yeah, okay,
1: yeah, so we. You know, we stop something going into landfill. We employ someone to do a bit of repair. We fund our space, and we do that at a cheaper rate. And <clears throat> what we've saw, and noticed around here, and especially going to my friends, is that um, we're all buying second hand, not just because of an environmental uh, standpoint, but also financially, it makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, um, I, you know, I've just received a. Uh, a friend just emailed me and he goes oh, I've just found this jacket on someone selling on Facebook it's got a small rip in the arm can I can you, can you, I drop it into you and you put a patch on it and stamp your logo on there and I said yeah well like 10 euros that'll take 20 minutes to do um, and so he's gone and bought like a second hand jacket it's going to be a one off because it's got our badge and logo stamped on the arm yeah. um, he's a bit happy and he's got it cheaper than if he's gone and bought it new. and like he's completely happy and but I'm more than happy he's got the story people ask him like What's that logo on your arm, sort of thing? And and, and then he oh, goes, you know, I'm. I, I bought this secondhand, and and the culture sort of expands from there." Um, so yeah, financially, it's. I, I mean, financially, it makes total sense, doesn't it, to buy stuff secondhand, both from an aspect of, like your own. This is my personal opinion, but both from an aspect of your own pocket, but also from an aspect of supporting your local community. Mm-hmm. Like, if I go and buy that same brand new north face jacket online i could be buying it from anywhere in the world that money is leaving my community yeah 100 percent. like um it's disappearing out of here whereas if i go and buy that jacket from a store like this it's employing someone it's spreading the cultural change and it's keeping the money with inside our community um there's a I've got there's a slightly strange way of got of seeing this, and it's something that recently IKEA have started doing which I kind of really don't like and it's um that they, they have said they will take back your furniture and give you money for taking it back. So they'll you know, you can for example, here my IKEA is in Grenoble, and then it's Ikea it's two hours away, say I had a piece of IKEA. Um uh, like furniture that I finished with and uh, I wanted to get rid of it I can drive it all the way to Grenoble they'll give me money to spend it in the store um, and they'll what they'll actually do and they're not doing anything super clever like with the materials they're just reselling it and they're actually doing this in the, I know they're doing this in the UK and they're reselling it on Gumtree I don't know if you have a Gumtree in there in Switzerland Gumtree is like a sort of secondhand face like sort of a kind of eBay um, mm-hmm. Second hand. Okay. So they could be selling that product straight back to my neighbor. Yes. So in the whole process, there I have driven all the way to Grenoble, yeah, given my money to a corporation that's taking the money out of France, probably to wherever, um, and then they might have resold it back to my neighbor. Well, it makes total like we don't need that service. It makes much more sense for me just to sell that product second hand to someone locally, uh, and to for me to then decide what I want to do with that with that money Um, and I feel that's happening a lot in industry and there's going to be a big push for this for companies to offer uh, return policies where they give you a discount off another product product. and I think that's because they don't have a say in the second hand market I believe believe statistically more stuff is sold second hand more IKEA stuff is sold daily second hand than it is Absolutely. Sold by Ikea. And Ikea, I would say, want a portion of that market.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Makes sense.
1: And I don't, and they don't need to have a portion of that market. It it, kind of doesn't really matter. (laughs) Like, that market is functioning perfectly well as it is. Um, And I I feel the same with anything that's bought secondhand or repaired or, or upcycled. You're not only saving yourself some money in, in, in generally but you're also investing in your local community these, these services that aren't delivered by an Amazon or a, I don't know like um yeah like a, a big online outdoor retailer they're not delivered these services aren't delivered by them they're delivered by people that live within your community that fill for example here fill a shop space on the high street and engage with the local community and encourage change um, so why not support that? type of business and invest in that type of culture um it's, it's, it's quite easy to like if you want to see change in the world like one of the simplest things i'd say that you can start off doing is look at your consumption and, and choose where you spend your euro
0: yeah yeah, yeah. no it makes a lot of I sense think. so you know what i was thinking that uh, probably the yes the the best way probably the best kind of uh, more sustainable, even just I don't know, reasonable things to say to do is you are actually putting the um, uh, the IKEA uh, the IKEA example, and this mm. can be actually done also with other things for other stuff. But for example, so taking the IKEA stuff, then I'm gonna make the example that I also have in mind. But um, how much better is, for example, for IKEA, even if they want a part of this secondhand market, right, secondary market, how better would have been for them? of just supporting a community or supporting somebody, an association, or whatever, like yours, it can be yours, or it can be whatever, right? You know that there is, uh, I don't know, somebody who has a little secondhand shop or whatever, go to them and say, look, why don't you just act as a hub of collector in your community yeah. for the Gala stuff? We are going to found a bit, giving you some money for the shop that you have, for whatever you have in the warehouse and everything. Uh, We are just supporting you on that. And then you're going to receive everything, sell them back, and we are going to take a percentage out of it. Yep. Easy as it is instead of just centralizing everything because this is the big problem I think. Most of the big companies they don't want to decentralize things, but they want to keep everything under their control. So even if because in this way it's only them that they're also them are wasting products, right? because uh, I see mm-hmm. money because you are forcing people, for example you to go to Grenoble. How many people are going to Grenoble instead of getting rid of the things in another way? You have to drive to Grenoble, drop things there. you are getting money, of course, you're getting money that you need only to spend there, but they think that this is an advantage, but you know what I mean? They can also buy yeah. cheap stuff and don't come to you anymore. And then you have to ship it somewhere else, somewhere else that needs to take care. It's just a waste of time. And you need IKEA furniture because they are cheap, and they are secondhand, even cheaper. Uh, you need these kind of uh, furnitures. Anyways, in every place. So by just decentralizing it, maybe... I think that anyways, you're making more money. But anyways, you are just probably losing one client because if somebody doesn't feel good on what they bought and then whatever, they're not coming to you anymore. They're not bringing it to you anymore any furniture and blah and blah and blah. And this is actually the point. I remember as well, this is the second example that I want to tell you. Uh, there is this bicycle brand the name is pretty famous mm-hmm. it's online the name of it is canyon the things that they are doing okay. for example at the moment because they actually they are not structured for dealing with all the repairing and they yeah. are having a lot of problems on letting other shops repairing their bikes because the shop owners they say okay i don't want to repair your bike i prefer to put before my clients with my brands because then the brands that I'm selling, people can come back and can get their bike repaired. And Canyon doesn't give me any income, right? Because people are buying directly online. But the thing that they are doing in order to kind of skip this problem, they're going to... Uh, be, so they could have had two different ways, right? One is send back the bike send it to us, we're going to repair it. Or uh, could be also buy the part from us and make it repair yourself and whatever. These are some of the models. The model that they are using now, and I know a friend of mine in the Netherlands, this part of this program, they are going to workshops So bicycle workshop and they're saying there, look, we are supporting you, your shop and everything, but you're going to be in my list of the repairing shop. And so you can actually give... To people priority on getting their canyon bake repaired in this way yeah. you are fidelizing the, po- the people you are giving them the solution because you are telling them look people uh even if we are selling online and we don't have natural shop and we know that there is kind of hostility uh, against us into the shops why you are gonna still have somebody who can repair it and you are still nurturing a community because okay this friend of mine is in netherlands where yeah. bicycles are pretty there. So people like bicycle. people like to use. That's why there are a lot of bicycle workshops and not only bicycle shops. And that's the way, right? Something like letting, growing your brand, that of course is a multinational brand, is in all over Europe, and now it's also in the US, is a multinational brand. But actually you have also a representative who is going to take care of your customers in the little community. Mm-hmm. So decentralizing, I think that this is probably the key.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic model i can see i mean that works for the consumer it works for the for the brand for sure like i mean uh, where would you currently sell if you were returning the canyon bike where would you return it to currently as well if it was going back to uh, you know like where 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 is the current model is
0: yes um yeah the point is that in this i think that they still need to improve uh, especially in countries where still they're not developing so much, uh, you still. Right. So, for example, because I had also a problem with the canyon. Uh, my bis- my fr- my girlfriend, bicycles. Actually, we received this bicycle. He had some problem. It had some problems. It was still in a warranty. We said, okay, uh, can you please take it back and fix it? And so they shipped them here. We had to ship it back to where? To Koblenz in Germany. They have, right, diff- okay, yeah. they have different hubs. I think that they have for yeah. sure one hub in Italy is in Verona. The main hub is in uh, in Germany, Koblenz. I think there is one in France. And if I'm not completely wrong, it should be in Grenoble. And then there is another one that is actually in uh, the Netherlands. So basically all over Europe, these are the hubs. And then they have other ones around. But still, so if under, it-
1: their new, uh, under their new model, you would be able to take, uh, under a future model, you would be able to take that to a Canyon um, qualified Warranty specialist within your area, I guess. Yes,
0: yeah, because that's the point. In the Netherlands, I think that actually this shop that I was mentioning, that is from Bus, by the way. Hi, Bus. Hopefully everything is fine. Um, I'm talking about you, Bus. Uh, actually, I think that actually he can deal as well with not only the repairing, but also with the warranty issues. So. Wow. In a system like this, you don't need to ship the bike. Back. And still, there is an, there is anyways a hub in the, in the Netherlands for Canyon bikes, but yeah. I think it's just for massive problems. If it's just, for example, uh, I don't know, they need to check the, the front suspension. They need to check this because it's not working. You can go to bus, he's going to check, he's going to call directly the Canyon people in the headquarters, and they're saying, he's saying look is not the customers dealing a customer dealing with the problem, but it's actually uh, a professional dealing with the problem. And you can say, "Look, this is unrepairable. Take it back, or I can repair it. Send me the piece, uh, the part, and I'm gonna put it back there." So
1: yeah, that's that's a great model, and surely that's. I, and I have this sort of opinion of the high street, um, it, like in the UK, it's 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 struggling. It's quite difficult because of online sales. But the high street is a space that can provide these services within your community. So, you know, like you could provide bike repair, and you can provide clothing repair. You can do all these um, upskilling in the community. You can do all these different things on the high street that are currently aren't really a, a service that are there. You know, um, we we've got too used to kind of having a shop where you just put stuff on a wall and hope people walk in and just buy it. You know, they don't, people don't need to do that now because they can go on the internet and they can search the entire internet, and everything's returnable, and they can find it at a better price. And so, we don't really kind of need that service. And hey, bonjour, c'est <laughs> No, no, no. It's just for you know, effective podcast near Paraplu. What? Ah, Super. Merci. C'est moi, monsieur.
0: Good. Perfect. <laughs> no <laughs> more
1: stuff. More stuff. Not in landfill and back out. It's great. Um, I don't. I thought I did mention earlier this kind of rail outside that we have. This is this, this kids' rail that sort of just sits there and it's wicked just seeing it change. It's like it, it, week to week and, Yeah, it's sort of got in our community the people don't even like poke their heads in the door anymore. I'm quite happy for them just to keep helping themselves and you go out there and like, oh, this is cool, something new on here, and it's just like it's this just sort of yeah, constant change. Maybe let's, um, yeah go ahead yes
0: no i just want to touch base a bit in this rail that you have outdoor out, out there and actually how does it work you in order to take something you have to drop something or
1: um, no we, we i mean we put there's a sign that's saying well it just says it uh, change swap or just take or just use and it's it, yeah you don't have to swap stuff but uh invariably someone will find something on there and then they'll pop back a few days later and drop off a few items that they've you know, the, and and it just keeps this rail going. It just keeps it kind of cycling around our community. It, it's cool, and um, it's just. I feel it's so important that kind of thing for our community and reducing our impact and providing a service because, as I said earlier, like ski clothing in particular for a child, between seasons you can grow out of it, and it's like. I, I've been kind of surprised when we've taken so some of the. Some of the items of clothing might come in here and they're not suitable for being worn, so we'll take them apart and we'll use the material for other bits and pieces. Uh, when you take apart a ski pan, for example, the amount of material in that product is is kind of quite mind-blowing because it's got pockets, it's got insulation, it's got an inside liner. And like when you actually physically take it apart, you're like, wow, this is a there's a lot of material going into this. And yeah, to see. You know, like to see a kid wear a, an item of clothing for four months and then have to go and buy something else is is kind of a bit a bit crazy, really. And we've I've actually just had a uh, someone pop in this morning uh, because we've been running. So I have this slightly bigger vision um, for what this store can do. this space that I'm Uh right now, I have like lots of really nice jackets. There's bikes around me. There's cycling gear. Um, all sorts of skis, ski boots. And whenever I'm standing here, in the back of my mind is that these products, you know, they're not in someone's wardrobe, but they're still sat in the store and they're not out on the mountain and not being used. Um, And so what we're currently doing is trialing a a little project where people pay a small um, sort of membership fee to the store, like a monthly fee. Um, And for that, they get a certain amount of tokens that they can come in, and use to lend and borrow uh, the products and the idea is that you could come in here and treat this this space as your wardrobe uh, throughout the year so you might come in and for example one of our friends has lent us a, a road touring bike with Panniers you might take that bike away for two weeks um, you might then drop back in and uh, take a via ferrata kit so that you can go and do the local via ferrata because you know, there's great via ferrata around here but people do them once a year so why do we all need a Yes. Like, a, and harness like why can't we have a shared sort of uh set of kit and, and the same with even with just the general clothing like I, I was saying yesterday I find it quite interesting and exciting and like I, I kind of feel like ownership of stuff is kind of a bit stale like once you've bought it and you if you if you if you are sort of environmentally focused and you you don't want to just buy new stuff once you own that thing you're going to own that for a, a long length of time and that is nice in, in some cases yesterday you were talking about uh, a merino black top that you've had that has become really special to you that you've repaired and it's yeah. something you like you know you get those items of clothing that you really like and you, you really use throughout your lifetime but other than that it kind of comes a little bit stale so i can come in here and uh you know i'll wear a different color shirt for a week that i wouldn't normally wear and. You know, it's just nice to sort of change up your style and switch things around and just live a little bit differently rather than having this set sort of wardrobe at home. Um, and so our idea is to try and break those those sort of ideas of ownership and provide mm. a service where you can come in here and just use any of our products. And, and if you break them, no stress, because we have the people here that can service and repair them, a bit like you were saying with the, the people at the, the canyon shops the bike shops they're the specialists that can have a look at that bike and say to canyon yeah yeah we need to change this part but it's totally repairable we're we're the same if you know if someone borrows a tent from us and they come back and they broke a temple no stress we can repair it like we have the skills and we have the people on on site to do that um and i i think there's there's a lot of freedom and value in that because personally i'm a little bit bored of owning stuff in the sense of as i say it's kind of stale but also there's a hassle involved with it um, so i've just had a family come in this morning and say oh, i've been following your your like trial program about um, being a member of the shop and using the stuff you know we live in a flat we've got a, a balcony currently that balcony has got suitcases and stuff on because i don't have the space to store stuff i would love to be a part of this 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 service our son is he must've been about 13 14 he's going for his year like year after year, um, but we don't want to own it. Um, Like we want to go away on holiday next week and we need it. We need a rucksack. Um, Do you have a rucksack? We can borrow for the week. Like, yeah, cool. Take that away. Um, And that's for me, that's the model I'd love to kind of uh, really push and, and and create. Um, It's very much in a trial process now, uh, but my vision is if you could have that operating across different towns or cities you know, I could pop over to see you in Zurich, yes. and we might say, "Oh, let's climb for the day." And we pop to a, a store there where I can use my rental tokens to take some climbing gear. Or uh, rather than taking my bike there, you know, I jump on the train, come and visit you, get there, and it's like, "Oh, I'll just go and rent this bike for the day, and let's go for a ride." Yes. Um, and so we're kind of walking I've just, uh, my mum is here. She just walked into the shop. She's uh, come out to visit for a couple of weeks, and she's here with. Uh, my dog and baby boy in noah who's four months so
0: wow <laughs> say hi to <laughs> the <laughs> family <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah Whole family's here. she's been a she's been half a week but i've had her on the sewing machines
0: <laughs> ah, okay okay that's perfect <laughs> great uh,
1: yeah. yeah i, I mean just... did you do you, you see a vision like that working in the cycling industry do you think people would be open to kind of sharing their stuff
0: uh, that's a great question. So I actually know about a bit more on a different and more commercial way of doing this. Uh, because I've seen, for example, there are brands for so for example, uh, there is this brand of clothing, the name of it is Isador and uh, they are they have a subscription model basically you pay i don't know how much every month and you can actually have a new piece of clothing every three months so basically uh, you're paying let's say i don't remember the price i'm not gonna say the price you pay x and then you get your cycling kit for three months then you ship it back and then you get a new one So they clean it, they wash it, whatever, and they give it to somebody else. And this makes sense. The thing that I don't think it makes sense, if there is a brand who's taking these responsibilities, this means that you have to put in place so many other processes that are, for example, shipping, returning, even just washing and cleaning and sanitizing things. Probably this can be, at a certain point, way more polluting than producing and ship once, right? So I think that a model like this can definitely work, but in a community space. And this would be a perfect, powerful engine that built up the community itself. This is the most important thing. I don't think that you need to think about that as a a global business. In order to put in place these models, you have to get rid for a bit of time of the global system, because this is something that works only in the community. That's why, actually and uh, this one actually is a point that I want to finalize with you, is something like, these kind of systems are good for the environment, but they're good for the environment, not only because you're recycling clothing and everything like this, but or you are reducing waste or you are repairing stuff, but that's a great engine for the environment because you're building up community that are ready to work together in order to get better things share more things and expand the culture so it's super powerful for the environment for these two reasons less things that you are using and the community that you are empowering by upskilling and everything like this so what do you think about Mm -hmm. that
1: yeah i agree i i did see a study recently that said um if you do a subscription service that the carbon impact is actually higher than buying an item and wearing it for two or three months and throwing it away but i do I think that's if you're running a subscription service where your delivery is not carbon, like not carbon neutral. So, say if you're using electric vehicles, that would change that. If you are looking into the energy you're using for the cleaning processes, you could properly change that. But personally, I agree with you that why not just do this within the community? It's very much like you're talking about that canyon model. It doesn't need to go. It doesn't need to go elsewhere. Like it might as well stay here, Um, and communities spaces like ours partner up with brands and, and deliver that service in on the high street and in the community and yeah like like why not i, I don't I don't see much advantage to that to that model where you send it back and, and you replace it every three months I have to say I feel like can I kind of understand where they're sort of going with it but yeah like should we be encouraging someone to change a product every three months because that then gets into their their psyche probably of the rest of the products that they consume that you know i can keep changing whereas if we were encouraging them to just keep something for a prolonged length of time um to make something really well made and, and, and say to the consumer just keep that is that not the better message although i feel like there is a way that you can do this within a community space that fills both boxes it gives the consumer the option to to use what they want to use which is appropriate for their sport or for their for for that day like <clears throat> in skiing sometimes you know you do need a jacket that's insulated sometimes you don't need a jacket that's insulated depending on the temperatures why own two jackets just have a come and borrow one off us for the spring come and rent one off us for the spring period when it's warmer and rent a different one at the start of the season um, and when you drop it back in here We'll make sure it's repaired and we'll make sure it's clean for the next cons- consumer to go and use. Uh, financially, I mean, it's far cheaper. We're we're looking like we're looking at trying to offer this service of like fifty euros a month. A, a ski jacket, a, a proper decent ski jacket that we have in the store costs five hundred euros. Like we we're envisioning a project where you can come in and take a tent, like a, a class. A really good example of how this model will work would work um, like a tent, my tent, my personal tent is used for two or three weeks a, a year. Mm-hmm. And, and for the other 49 weeks, that in a cupboard, like it'd be much better to be in a space like this going out every week, being serviced, being looked after. Um, and we can do that with all products. So like we can do that with, with bikes. I mean, we're, <clears throat> we're looking to run a, an electric bike sharing scheme from the shop space. Um, Again, the idea is seven of us to sort of uh, purchase a, an electric bike that we can use. Like we, we want to build a sort of calendar system so that we can amongst us say, "I want to take it out on this day." You can take it on this day. Um, but when it's not being used by us, it can be outside the front of the shop if no one's booked it out today. We'll rent it to someone, um, and that can sort of help pay for the servicing or for looking after that bike. Um, and it means a group of seven of us we we, we own one bike as opposed to having seven like <clears throat> we, we don't need that product and i just think um using stuff locally but also creating this culture of sharing and renting and and, and leasing and bringing back products can really transform how we how we interact as not just interact as a community like it, it, as i was saying earlier, it's really exciting to see someone skiing around in my my ski jacket that yeah. is cool Uh you know, I got some joy out of that. It's like great, that jacket's getting used, but these products have a really interesting story. So this jacket, this one jacket, for example, or one bike could be just going on loads of adventures throughout the summer. Like it it suddenly takes on like its its own sort of story and has its own history. Um as opposed to it being in the back of a wardrobe. And like if we can provide these things Locally and to our local community, like we're ticking so many boxes. We are obviously having greatly reduced our environmental impact, but we're providing such a good service. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think yeah, I think it's a strong model. I do. I, I it's exciting to hear that Canyon are affected. It's not a dissimilar model to that one that Canyon are trying to trying to put into action. And it's exciting to see that big brands are are thinking about this this kind of model because I, I, as you said, it's. It's a much better model than getting that product to return to a manufacturer or getting, having a subscription where you post it back every three months. Like, have it embedded in your community.
0: Yeah. I want to ask the last question, Gavin, because I know that it's we are running out of time. And it's really the classic last question that comes into my mind. And the question is, at the moment, one tree at a time, with your upskilling um, activities, recycling, uh, swapping and selling second hands and uh, yes, everything that you are doing. You mentioned a lot of things. At the moment, do you feel that is a system, a model that works, works for you, works for the community, and works for the brand? And uh, can be really just just as it is, without thinking about subscription model, any kind of upgrades that you can do. But right now, at the moment, giving sensibility to people to repairing their things, uh, to brands to uh, reduce the waste, to brands actually to send you the stuff that they are not selling, um, to community to repair things, all these things that are there, like they are at the moment. Do you think it's something worth it, that it's working? How do you feel with that?
1: Yeah, it's... it's Definitely, definitely working, and um, the village space that we are so I, the village I live in is tiny. We're talking, I don't know how many we've got here. We've probably got three or four hundred houses in our community. If you were doing this, if this shop space was in Zurich, for example, I, I just it would be swamped every day. Like, it just it just would be like it's it's valuable to the customer. It's valuable to the community. It. Um, provides a service that other people aren't providing and, and people are buying into that and it's a model that you know it's it's not a particularly complicated model and it's a model that's just replicatable um it's it's something i'm pretty sure that you could run in most mountain villages for example and especially in the slightly larger ones um yeah i've no yeah, I'm, I'm having a great time. Uh, our community is changing. We're employing people. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a model that I believe work. and well, we're testing it. And and <clears throat> the exciting thing is, it's a model that's able to fund itself, and we are allowed to try these subscription models and to see if, like, you know, we're allowed to try different things around it and see if we can make those function and work. Um, I mean, if any of the listeners are interested in starting something similar within like the cycling industry or even in the ski industry in a different town like i'm always open to like discussing how we can talk about the finances and everything i don't, I don't mind like we can discuss how we've managed to make this work um the sort of costs it's incurred and yeah i i would say i would encourage if any of your listeners that are interested in setting up a certain model a similar model i would encourage them to get in touch and, and look into it because I think it can work everywhere.
0: Then tell us how people can get in touch with you. Which one are your contracts and stuff?
1: Yeah, we've uh, got a website called one. Well, website address is one tree at a time. Fr. Um, all the contact details are on there. But you can have a good read about all the, the stuff we actually do because uh, there's a lot of things we haven't even touched on today. That of we, course, we, of we, course. Yeah. Um, <coughs> Check on there, or you can contact us through the usual stuff like Facebook, Instagram. We're we're on both of those, and it's it's just a one tree at a time. Um, And yeah, please get get in contact. Uh, If anyone's got any, you know, we're always after ideas and solutions. If anyone's listening to this and gone, well, we do this in the cycling industry, or we do this in our in our store, or in our community. Like, please share stuff with us. Like, it might transfer over to the ski industry. Um, And and yeah, we might be able to put something that we've not even thought about into action.
0: thanks a lot Gavin it was really inspiring I really loved actually that you said right now there are so many things that I'm doing we didn't touch base on that (laughs) <laughs> I know, but I loved actually that we really gave the flavor on what we're doing in terms of community, sustainability and all the project. And I really love the conversation that we had and it's pretty inspiring. I hope that actually we gave to people a bit more of the inspiration of what can be done out there. And also some doubts. If somebody, uh, somebody comes out, yes, but that's doable only because, or that's doable in this way, or this is not scalable because of this reason, let us know. Uh, we can actually come back, jump back and discuss again about that
1: yeah no that'd be great and if someone goes i know how to scale this (laughs) absolutely
0: give us a shout give us a shout i can shout out on that only if somebody knows how to scale these kind of things or how what else can be implemented on the model super happy to to talk about that
1: and uh and thank you for getting in touch Stefano, and uh having this conversation It's great to hear people well to find that people are interested in what we're doing and to be able to share share what we're up to so thank you
0: (laughs) perfect thanks a lot gavin and have a nice day
1: yeah you too cheers
0: well, if you made it till here, it means that you liked it. So it means that you can comment, share, do whatever you want to do in your podcast platform down here and give me a shout out or just send me a feedback. Calamaro.cc is the best way to do it. Or hello at kalamato.cc. Tell me what you think, because I love this conversation. I really think that Gavin and I, we are going to stay in contact. We are going to stay in touch and we're going to develop some more future projects together. Uh, especially now I have a bunch of things because I'm moving flat. I have a bunch of things and everything is gonna actually move forward. And uh, I think I'm gonna give uh, to the one tree at a time shop some love and some new garments that actually gaming can use to support his project because I think it's really great. Thanks, everybody, to make it till here. Thanks to Komut for supporting this podcast. Thanks to all of you. And uh, yeah, nothing else to say. If not, remember that down in the description, you will find a couple of files that are pretty helpful the COVID jar for SeaWatch, as well as the coffee support link. I will talk to you next week.